Hey, welcome back to Tunes Tunes Podcast. I'm your host, Harold. As always, you can follow us on social media. That's Tunes Tunes Podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And you can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Hey, we're with Tom from Nerd On. What's up, man? Uh, all good, man. Thank you for having me on. How are you doing? Good. I appreciate you taking the time, brother. No, hey, look, uh, if I can be part of the Pottern family and join as many uh, podcasts and just talk, <laughs> then I will. So I uh, thank you again. Uh, I, I've been kind of in this weird um, like track of guesting on uh, multiple people's podcasts like every day or every week in the last like two months. And wow, uh, it's been awesome. pretty cool. And so like it's 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 just fun and and you know i think it's really lovely that you know podcast now uh occupies a space where people like like to just have full-on conversation so thank you again yeah, when sure. when you hit me up i was like oh that's cool i love this <laughs> that's funny because like we're both on shows too and then i have the same reaction when someone asks me to be on their show i'm like really <laughs> yeah every time i'm like wow okay yeah, when you were like, uh, let's do a talk and an interview, and I was like, do you, are you sure you have the right guy? I don't know if I have anything to <laughs> offer. <laughs> I just love, man, you know, I really just love talking to people, and, and uh, people that listen to my show probably remember, because uh, I talked about being on Josh's show, um, What's Up Fandom, at the time, I think it was probably even still Animation Station Podcast, he's since rebranded, but we were on an episode uh, talking about a Cartoon Saloon, Wolfwalkers, I think it was. And so that was how I first met you. And then I was just like, I had in back in the back of my head and I always have like a running list. I'm like, I've got to get him on the show. Like I, I just so finally was like, took the time. I was like, all right, I'm going to shoot him a DM, slide in the DMs real quick. So we can get him on the show. <laughs> no, yeah, I appreciate it. And I always have that rolling, uh, that Rolodex too. And I'm like, okay, what can I bring them onto the show, uh, onto Nerd On to do? And I always like, you know, I think that's the parable of a, of a host of a podcast. I mean, I think obviously you play it off so cool and so well, but I have like anxiety and panic attacks. I'm like, okay, <laughs> how am I not going to waste their time? What are we going to talk about? You know? So, uh, right no, I, I just love like learning more and more about the podcast space. Yeah, for sure, man. And yeah, for people maybe that haven't checked out nerd on, or maybe, um, this is their first time hearing about it. Can you talk a little bit about what you guys talk about? Yeah, of course. Um, uh, thank you for giving us the space to do so. Um, Nerdon yeah. is a podcast with four hosts, and uh, we all have different levels of nerd, nerdum, nerd level, and that's our main goal is to celebrate uh, nerdy things in pop culture and some things that you might not have ever heard of uh, at every level of uh, entry you can have it. So um, there's enough things on the internet that um, kind of talk down or are very dismissive or work hard to tear down uh, things that people might like and enjoy. Um, obviously we, we still critique and analyze things and see how it plays upon like the zeitgeist and the, you know, overall industry. But we, we do always try to see things for like the good things it's done or how it, how it affects things in a positive way. So we talk about video games, comic books, TV shows, anime, um, films uh animated films and we like working with other podcasts and we have like guests from like jonathan frakes from star trek we'll have jeff nimoy from uh digimon we'll have andrea romano from every single animated thing ever probably <laughs> um so yeah we'll have a definitely uh we have fun with our, our our guests and our guests we always try to bring them on to 
talk about things that they haven't ever talked about. So like Kevin Conroy, he always talks about Batman. It has to always be Batman, right? But we end up talking about his favorite film, which is uh, Children of Paradise, which is a French film. Or we'll bring on uh, like uh, Becca Scott, who's known for like Magic Gathering and like a lot of board games and her acting. But then we'll talk about Groundhog Day. So like it's it's it, we try to add value to whoever we're bringing on and, and talk about things like in a way that no one's ever heard before. Yeah, that's always tough, and I think you guys probably have the same mindset as me. It's like you think you really empathy is is really helpful, and whenever you're doing interviews, whenever you're hosting people, because you think, man, like I don't want to ask them the things they've heard a million times. Like I don't want to just have them parrot that stuff back to me. I want to be able to give them an opportunity to talk about something maybe they've never talked about, never they never thought they would get to talk about. Yeah, it's like, you know, it, it, there is a little bit of that, um, I think, uh, competitive desire to have the quote unquote exclusive, but it's almost more because we want to have a really good time and have uh, a human connection with our guests. Because I think at the end of the day, for me, um, I could almost care less of how good the episode does and downloads. I really just care that the people we have on the show want to be able to do it again. And, you know, like what is, you know, pop culture or, 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 or art, if not things that allow us to connect to other people. And if we're not doing that and we're just trying to divide each other, then what's the point? Right. Yeah, man. There's plenty of stuff out there that's just like dunking on everything just to dunk on it. So uh, it's always refreshing to like, I always talk, I always call it people that allow themselves to enjoy things. Yeah. Um, I, I think there's two different energies too. There's like, a, you know. I, I love talking a lot of smack about uh, people and video games oh, and yeah, all this stuff. Like, sure. you know, th- there is always th- going to be that kind of like playgroundness uh, of like, you know, butting heads. But then there's a very different energy of making fun of the things that you hate versus making fun of things that you love. So, like, you know, I love Dragon Ball Z and I'm like, yeah, yell boys who get really powerful. Like, it's it's a very it, like I love it and and I can and I can make fun of it with loving eyes because I know what it is. It doesn't stop me from be, like taking any criticism, but also it doesn't allow me to try to take away something that someone else might like. So, right, yeah, and at the at the heart of it, like it's so important. And things I love about interviews that I listen to is just like it's not from a place that's unkind. You know what I mean? Like you just. If you dunk on it, you dunk on it, but you're, it's all just bullshit and, like, razzing, that type of thing. It's never, like, with the purpose of being unkind or to tear people down. So that's that's the thing that I love and the thing that stick out sticks out to me as far as, like, you know, what I look for in an interviewer that I respect or, like, a, a show that people just allow themselves to have fun and just talk about stuff and razz each other. Like, that is so fun. It's very much like a... a you know, you feel like you're just there shooting the shit with your friends type of thing. Like, I love that kind of feel. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'll be lying if I said I haven't, like, looked up YouTube videos of, like, Henry Cavill, like, talking about World of Warcraft or talking about, like, right. you know, playing video games. And I'm like, oh, wow, like, these people who I've never worked, I've never seen in my, like, you know, never interacted with, but I get to, you know, see them in this way and, be- and feel like, oh, like, they have the same human processes and experiences that I have. And it's just an- enjoyable. So, like, again, like, it's, uh, again, it's all about that connection, right? Right, exactly. Um, so yeah, you talked a little bit about, you know, being a fan of Dragon Ball Z. Can you remember back, um, maybe like the, when you're first getting into anime, some stuff that stuck out to you, what were like some of your favorite shows? 
Uh, I mean, it was funny. I was actually listening to the show in preparation, you know, uh, Tunes Tunes in preparation for uh, today and talking with you. Um, because, you know, I think beyond this, we've only talked about wolf walkers and that was like lovely and everyone should go check out that episode. Uh, but I remember hearing a couple episodes that you're like Dragon Ball Z, always the gateway drug. And, uh, <laughs> and it's so funny cause I feel like it is because I think when you watch that it is undoubtedly, you know, you're watching anime, but like for most Westerners and I think we're the same age born 91. Yeah. Uh, so like first thing that hit me was pokemon you know and then after that was digimon and then after that was every other mon you know beat uh 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 uh, wannabe or 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 copy which is like monster ranchers or metabots or uh and but then dragon ball z was the one was like oh this is anime and uh like i think that really hit it off but it it was weird because i kind of felt like i had two tracks going at the same time it was kind of like you know if you're taking you know, regular school classes and you're taking night classes. My night classes was, and uh, for everyone listening, you remember like back in the nineties, the reason why anime was such like this, like wonderful community kind of thing was because the access of it was so hard to come by. And so you would trade anime or you would talk about it with your friends and you would try to piece together what you guys were watching. Um, And my sister had this, like this connect who would like get us these VHSs to anime that were subbed. And um, I, I am completely ambivalent on the sub dub war. Like, like what you like, I don't care. Just get the content. Um, and uh, I remember watching like Serial Experiments Lane and then Magic Knight Ray Earth and then like Van Dread. I remember reading like, like, and, and so this is when it started kind of popping off like, oh, Dragon Ball Z is like, I'm growing up because it's pretty violent. And then, like the anime that my sister and I would watch together later on got us into like manga. And then so like the Ranma halves and the silent Mobiuses where like nudity was like everywhere. And I was like, this is very adult. This is very adult. But why do they look like for they're meant for kids? So (laughs) yeah. So, I mean, yeah, it it, it sprawls. It sprawls from so many different things. No. Yeah, for sure, man. Yeah. And we talked a little bit earlier um, I think it might have been before we were recording, but just like that whole, the whole um, advent of Toonami was just like the thing that brought it to the forefront for sure. Like it became the basis for a lot of people. And then you kind of get to learn what you like and what you don't like. It, it's almost as important of what you like that, you know, a thing in anime that you're like, eh, I don't really like that thing. So you have a good gauge for what the next thing you should check out is. Yeah, and that's like the funny thing that I've I, I felt I found with like the dub versus sub war when I was like, if you're in America, more than likely your first touch of anime was from Toonami. So right. everything was dubbed, so I don't know how you just hate the thing that you came from. Like obviously you loved like sub more, but like yeah, like Dragon Ball Z, Card Capture Sakura, Zoids, G Gundam, Gundam, you know, well, Mobile Suit Gundam, like all that came from that. Like Yu Hakusho, Roni Kenshin all of that tsunami gave us so much and like i i remember watching like a, a video essay that was like kind of chronicling like how ted turner was like okay i'm going to make you know 24 hour programming for animation and then like he was like okay i'm gonna take the hannah barbera stuff i'm gonna take this warner brothers stuff and then now we're going to create our own stuff and that became cartoon network and then later on it's like okay well now i'm going to have this like four to seven o'clock block and it's going to have like a you know teenage stuff or and it's going to have anime and then also like this this guy like because of tsunami i feel like america changed and like you know 
I think whether you're you're into anime or not, you guys, you, everyone has known like a what a Dragon Ball Z. Like they've known just to even make fun of it or to to love it or you know to scrutinize it. Of course, Pokemon is like the biggest franchise in the entire existence of the world, but Dragon Ball Z is also like just as culturally like impactful and. I don't know that that to me is like where it starts and that's where it ends. It's always going to be Dragon Ball Z in a weird way, even though I like I think I only really loved Z and like I grew to love Dragon Ball and then Dragon Ball GT and Super like a ebb and flow of like my love for them. Right. Yeah, it's just funny, too. We've talked about that. I mean, that's not uncommon for us to talk about Toonami just because it's so impactful to, you know, so many people that I have on, especially people that are fans of anime and you know, whether they knew it or not, like, the freaking people putting together Toonami were, like, tastemakers for an entire generation, dude. Like, you're not far off by saying, like, it changed America. Like, for real. Like, it, it shaped and changed kind of what they thought could be marketable, even. Like, that was huge, had a huge impact, for sure. Like, that's undoubtable. And I mean, I think that's one thing that, I, uh, you know, like, I... I try to spread my investment of emotion and time of other pop culture things uh, evenly as possible. But like, I've always said to like many people who are like, you know, I'm all about Harry Potter. I'm all about star Wars. I'm all about Marvel or DC, whatever. And I will say like you, I think you love it, but when you know what anime fans do for their anime, you would not, you will realize like, Oh, I like the thing. I'm not an, I'm not a fan of it as much. Like, and that's the thing. Like right. I, I, I say like anime fans, like are like the true, like ride together. We die together kind of thing. Like they, there's so, like, and that's the thing where I was like, it's so hardcore. And I remember as a kid, like fiending for like Dragon Ball Z posters. And I would like print out pictures from like the old, like my garbage oh my printer God. and like try to download it on, on AOL. And it's just like, okay, image is like block by block is loading. Oh, this is a really cool <laughs> one when all of them are super Saiyan. And then I'm like, I print it out and I put it on the front of my binder. And I'm like, that was the thing. And I'm like, we're all living we, the same life, Tom. Yeah. And you know, we all, I don't care. Okay. Look, if you <laughs> watch crazy. Dragon Ball Z, <laughs> if you watch Dragon Ball Z as a kid, I don't care who you are, how cool you are. Um, you, we all try to turn Super Saiyan one time, <laughs> one time for the squad. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Doing the fusion dance with their buddies. Oh my god! I, uh, I, so I was in a fraternity in college, and um, we, we there's every se- spring semester there was a Greek sing. So all the fraternities and sororities had to come up with a 12 minute sing and song dance and all that stuff. Everyone just typically bit off whatever the cool Disney movie was. I did it where it was like the Power Rangers versus Justin Bieber. But the way I made the Megazord combined was I made them all do the fusion dance. And I was like, that's for me. I don't care if we win, but that's That's for me. If you (laughs) that's my fingerprint right there. (laughs) I was like, if anyone like, and we won third place out of like, uh, I think 10 fraternities. I was like, look, that's all. I, that's that, pretty that's good. Fine. That's fine. I'm cool with that. And everyone's like, Tom, this is the nerdiest shit I've ever seen. I'm like, hey, baby. Hey, baby. <laughs> it's never going to change. Though. Yeah. I was like, ain't never going to change. <laughs> that's right. That's funny. Yeah, we had that. We had the same thing. I went to college here in uh, Oklahoma, and we had that uh, uh, spring sing, I think it was what it was called. A bunch of my friends were in fraternities and sororities and stuff. They would always, that's the thing we're doing. And Yeah, there's always, like, some cool element that I always see. If someone snuck in, like, a... Power Rangers or Pokemon or something like I always love that kind of thing. Like it's so cool, but it proliferates, man. Like we, it 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 
bleeds into areas we don't even expect to see it sometimes just because it's become so culturally relevant. Yeah, and I mean, with Tsunami too, like, I think, you know, having the hostess uh, as uh, Tom, you know, voiced by Steve Blum, like, I think that changed something for me. And I remember, like, my my sister was older than me, and so she was, like, watching MTV, TRL, and there was always a Carson Daly. But then I also remembered, like, Tsunami. I was like, oh, there's a host and there's a voice. and also, But then the, the blocks would have Peter Cullen, the voice of Optimus Prime. You know, he's like, you know, Dragon Ball Z. And so, like, it was cool. But then also there was the announcer for Dragon Ball Z. So it was always just, like, this good voiceover presence that's kind of, like, walking through what's happening throughout the the afternoon or the evening. And then I remember, like, Disney Channel started having their own animated hosts. And they had, like, all these characters. And, like, like I was just, like, everything's kind of feeling like it's biting off of Toonami, which, you know, uh, imitation is the purest form of, you know, flattery. But, like, I, I remember, like, later on G4 they would end up having like a an anime block late at night and i was just like everyone's doing this anime thing and then you know then later on adult swim so that that curated block thing man yeah we did a straight up bootleg type thing one time where like i had uh, gotten you know the uh, episodes and kind of cut them into my i made my own tsunami block essentially we have a bar here uh, attached to the theater that i record in that's dope. And that guy's always been really cool to let us do something like, you know, Daft Punk just broke up and they did an animated movie that's their album Discovery set to animation, Interstellar 5555. And we showed it here at Tower Theater like um, a couple years ago. We showed it like in, they have a really nice sound system. So it was just like bumping. And uh, when they announced that they were breaking up, you know, it was really cool that I was able to text. Um, dude up here and he was just he was already working on something i was like dude we got to show interstellar it's gonna bring people out and it it's just so cool because like toonami did that thing too with music like i remember uh the gorillas daft yeah. punk like the first time i heard about these bands was on toonami yeah no and uh yeah i mean and that's the thing too where like you know at that point you know those kids or other kids our age and even some of them older would later on like get into the YouTube era. And like, I always say this, like where like my culture of anime comes into like anime music videos was such a big deal. So much Linkin Park. Breaking the habit. Oh, <laughs> yes, yes, exactly. <laughs> Breaking the habit so much. Vegeta turning Super Saiyan. To- yes. And I think like, no, like also, I was, I was rewatching some of them recently and I was just like, I think because of AMVs, it really made the world love Vegeta more than I think they should have. Like he's a great yeah. character, but all of them were about him and i was like they really were (laughs) i was like goku's been through a lot and i know there was definitely like a trend with future trunks because future trunks was just like cool for the boys and sexy for the girls so yeah like perfect character baby yeah but like yeah i remember yeah so like songs and now that you bring it up like I, I, I that completely left my my memory bank but now that you're you're mentioning I'm like yeah they did play some music like b- between episodes and stuff like that cuz sometimes they would do like a movie on Fridays or on the eve or in the weekends and then they would just like play some music videos in between I was like yeah so yeah good time it's crazy like you start thinking back to that stuff and you're like I've not thought about that in years but now that you mention it I remember every single one that I watched especially those animated music videos as soon as you said AMV, I was like, Vegeta turning Super Saiyan to Linkin Park breaking the habit. Like, 
that is my lifeblood for sure. Like, yeah, and I love <laughs> I love that they still do like little compilations every once in a while. I, I follow them on Twitter, and uh, and I really like that. Like, there's one where like it has newer anime, of course, so it has like One Punch Man and like Hunter Hunter, and they'll it's like this kind of this string of like. Like and, and that's the thing where I think we, you've talked about it on the show a couple of times where the TV is, you know, can be certified as a parent for some people. And uh, the, the, the programming really kind of taught us a lot of lessons. And I remember there's like a viral image that was like the lessons that these fictional characters gave me are some of the more important ones I've ever learned from people in real life. And like there's there's just like a compilation of cuts of like you know, being young and wanting to dream for something big and then life gets hard. Um, but you got to dust yourself off and keep going anyways, because, you know, the only one that's going to get there is you. And, uh, like it had like shots of trunks and like, uh, of, of Jean from outlaw star. And so I was like, wow, like, wow. The like, broken dreams. Yeah, broken dreams. man. Yeah. It's wild. So, Space. Yeah, it's uh, a boy yeah. has a right to dream. Exactly, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. And then like always the anime character from like looking down at a high angle, and then the winds blowing at him, and it's yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> you know, the tropes, man. It it's all tropes, but I swear to God, I'm mainlining that shit, Tom. I am not lying to you, man. Like, it's it's like cheese, pure lifeblood. Yeah, it's like oh, it's so bad, but it's so good for me. <laughs> <laughs> so good oh man that's one and that's one too i think we talked a little bit on that Wolfwalkers episode about how big of a fan i am of outlaw star because that's like my show um and i love talking you know one thing i like about anime is like showing people a show maybe they haven't seen that you love and getting to introduce that to, to your friend like i love that and that's the one that I'm like evangelizing for it. Any like anybody asks about anime, I'm like, you should watch Outlaw Star. Like I have the Blu-rays, that's, you can borrow. That's your suggestion, Outlaw Star. Yes, sir. Mine is the uh, the the less fantastical one, which is Cowboy Bebop. Yeah. Because I think those two get compared a lot, and I'm like, they do. Yeah. There's some parallels there for sure. Um, I do have to thank you though, because I was when I was listening to you, your your episode, and you were saying that how Outlaw Star didn't even finish their like American run. Um, yeah, right? I didn't think it did. And and, and so I, I, I thought about it because I remember as a kid, I never watched the last two episodes. Um, yeah. And I remember I like my sister loved it. And so I bought the DVD set and I got it from FYE or a Suncoast, you know, back in the day when, wow. they, ha- when they had those. And yeah. guess what? I bought it. I opened up the DVD thing. The last two DVDs are not in there. And I was like, yo, we are never going to watch this. <laughs> never. It's not meant to be, Tom. Yeah. And so I had to like, I was like, okay. So now as an adult, I was like, years later, I was like, all right, I'm going to buy this on Blu-ray. We're going to have it. There you go. I did my job. <laughs> and I've watched the ending multiple times at this point. I'm like, cool. I've done my job. I've watched it. Because that was the thing. I was like, I've never seen them get to the to, to see, get the, what, the, the Dragonite. The Galactic Ley Line. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like. Are they going to use the number one bullet? What's going to happen? I know. <laughs> and I was like, does yeah, he die? I was always so shook. Yeah. yeah, exactly, man. It's so funny. Like, I love that. And I love how tropey it is, too, because, like, Cowboy Bebop does some, a little bit of that stuff. But Outlaw Star, man, like, they had the whole Hot Springs episode. And, like, I'm like, God, like, they definitely leaned into those tropes. But I talked about it before. Um, honestly, one of my favorite um episodes of any anime i've watched uh cats and spaceships and girls like um the it's the one where uh 
where they're on the satellite and then um um Jim meets the girl that's a, a pirate and he doesn't know and then they're kind of mm-hmm. star-crossed and oh, yeah. cross paths and then she ends up losing she ends up dying and he comes back and she was supposed to have been waiting for him but he doesn't know that she's gone and yeah. then he's just like heartbroken I'm like listen I didn't think I could that can make me feel and that's making me feel so thank you like that's yeah. crazy and I, I think that's that's a weird rap that like anime gets and I think a lot of people kind of dismiss it for you know anime works within its own medium and so there's obviously a lot of things that tend to happen it's kind of like uh, this sounds very dismissive, but it's like a it's like a Marvel film, right? Where like it's gonna have here is the complication, here is the heroic moment, here is some of the jokes that happen in between, and I don't know if a lot of people call those tropes, right, or call that problematic yet until like they start really start analyzing it through. But like anime, at least for me, and these are quote unquote supposed to be marketed towards like you know the teenager years or the preteen years, and even if there is like. Uh, sexual content or violence in in uh, harsh language. I feel like what better way to kind of get uh, young minds, impressionable minds, uh, acclimated to the adult world, if not the things that are quote unquote teaching them about the real world, which is like you know cartoons like Blue's Clues and Arthur and all that stuff. And all of a sudden, like, well, this is what the human body looks like. There's curves everywhere, and you know, there's all these different things, and. Also, there's these tough situations and life and death is a real thing. And, uh, you know, there are, you know, not obviously as sexualized, but it's like you kind of have to know that, like, you got to like that is a real thing that can happen. Um, doesn't mean it always happens. And sometimes it happens in a fantastical space. But that's just me where it's like I feel like it gets a lot of weird rap for it. But then, like, again, you have to take it with that grain of salt of like this is fiction. Keep that in mind. <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah, it's true, man. And it's. You know, another thing that I really like about it is how much it's, you know, un- whether we know it or it's uh, subconscious, it's really, like I mentioned earlier, has shaped a lot of our tastes and preferences and our artistic um, sensibilities. Mm-hmm. And I know you, um, just from like um, talking to you a little bit, I know you've gotten into um, filmmaking. Mm-hmm. Um, so can you talk a little bit about how that kind of lends itself to that and kind of how that came, came about, how you got into filmmaking, that kind of thing? Uh, well, um, we'll start at the beginning. Uh, first there was the big bang, then the dinosaurs died. Uh, no, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, the beginning, beginning. (laughs) Yeah. Um, uh, I, uh, for for the listeners who have not seen my face or don't know how to, uh, to attach it, I am a, an Asian man. And so my, uh, immigrant Asian parents, uh, were uh they fell in line of the the typical uh what do you want to be when you grow up said you know as they said that to the four-year-old um and they (laughs) asked me this every year until i was about like seven years old and um up until that point you know like i was like i don't know i don't know i just want to be a kid can i have cake can i have toys i want you know beast wars And uh, they were like, make sure it's a good job. It's a good paying job, X, Y, and Z. And then I was like, I don't want to do – I was bad at math. I was bad at science. And so uh, I had watched a lot of films. I was able to watch films and, like, memorize it. I loved the feeling of it. And uh, so I said, like, I want to make movies. And that was it. And then uh, history took place. But then, yeah, I was watching anime and all that stuff at the same time. But how anime and animation and and even just regular medium – of other pieces of art influenced my my filmmaking uh you know i always so from a young child i always knew i wanted to make tell stories and so of course youtube was around so 
you know, I would watch whatever cool thing. I would always try to use my Windows Movie Maker to edit my own AMVs and find my own Linkin Park songs. <laughs> um, so practicing with that was always fun. So, you know, you slap a piece of music down and you want to just cut to the beats. Um, but then later on, that came down to what jokes do I want to use into skits when I used to, you know, shoot my own like uh, YouTube uh, video content that way. And of course, there was always like a Dragon Ball Z reference in there. Or it's like, you know, or like if I'm at the gym with friends who like are also the guys who I would do videos with, we was like, oh, we got to go Super Saiyan for this one, man. You know, that kind of stuff. And it's it's those kind of things where it's like it's never it's always been present. But artistically, uh, once I started in college and started like learning about, you know, mise-en-scene and, and, and juxtaposition and, and different theories of film and, uh, you know, where it kind of came from and how to establish meaning between, you know, realistic and surrealistic and expressionism. Um, I, one thing that I always absolutely hated seeing in live action film and people saying, Oh, look at that. It's such a beautiful shot. And like, it's a well-composed shot and you know, there are a cool, there is a cool color palette, but if you've never seen like a sunset or a sunrise in an anime, then I don't know if you've seen a beautiful shot, um, because it's absolutely impossible to recreate and you would have to you know, highly color grade it or, you know, you know, uh, uh, CGI render it in. Um, and those are the kind of things where it's like, there are beautiful shots that I think happen in anime that never, that can never like almost can never be recreated in real life because the, the, the mechanics to actually recreate that, like Rooney Kenshin is really good at action. And what they'll do, like they'll have, and, and, and most shonen will do this too, where like the hand will be so close to the ground as it's like, re- like ramping up and about to make contact with the person's face. And it's like, you don't get that shot in any action film. Like no John Wick looks like that. Um, the close thing is maybe like 300, um, but that's because it's based off a graphic novel. Um, right. so it's like, how do you make shots look like that? And so dynamic, I think closest thing like that is like maybe Jackie Chan, because how he edits his cuts, you know, make it so that the impact looks even bigger than just like a quick cut on the action. Um, but I, I always felt like with filmmaking, there was like this weird delay and this weird breath that needed to happen with live action storytelling where with any type of animation um it's it it works within its own medium that you could just tell the story you don't have to have people pause and and contemplate how they feel and i think there's such such things as like uh miyazaki films which work with the ma and like they do have those breaths of like oh okay cool i'm 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 feeling the moment. I'm 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 observing the mise en scene and the composition of of the image and extrapolating meaning from there. But um, what I felt with anime, no matter what, like even even Dragon Ball Z, like they can throw exposition in your face and you'd be like, mm, so good, yeah. I'm done. Uh, that's an Android 18. That's Android 19. That's uh, okay. They killed him. Trunks is about to lose his lose his uh, mind and kill, about to kill everybody. And like we all know, um, like and those are the things too where it's like quick. Um, you know, like shots of people's reactions was like enough. You knew, like, uh oh, something's really bad's happening. Or like they would have like you know a character and they do um one of those reaction shots where like the background turns red and then a, a, like a lightning strike goes through and it turns black. And you're like, uh oh, and and you don't get that yeah. a lot of the times. And maybe I think the close thing also you got that with was maybe uh, Scott Pilgrim. Um, oh and, yeah, and Edgar Wright's really good about the dramatic lights, like when um. Aubrey Plaza is like saying like, don't, 
you know, Scott, don't talk to that girl. And then the entire room goes dark. And then all of a sudden it's like, Scott, you're listening. And then the lights come back on. I was like, that's dramatic lighting. And that's cool effects that you see happen in anime because it has that level of, um, you know, uh, of, of magic where people are just willing to like, uh, just go with it. And so like, that was something that always, uh, intrigued me with my storytelling. Um, but for me, like, I, I think at the end of the day, like, the conflict is kind of there as eye candy. Um, and then the story that happens of like, Oh, the, like, I, I think one thing that I think is really good that newer animes have had to learn from Dragon Ball Z is emotional impact of the fight. And so like, even though the fight's not as flashy, like there's so much weight behind like going, going to fight this other, like fighting, uh, other people in Hunter Hunter. You're like, Oh my God, there's so much at stake. This is so good. Like, I think in one episode you guys were talking about like how people dunk on tournament arcs. Um, but then tournament arcs are like some of the greatest storytelling of all it. time. Like the, the yes. whole tor- dark tournament. Man. Yeah. The Tagoro, uh dark tournament, like every person <sighs> someone fought, whether it was Hiei, Kurama, Yusuke, or Kuwabara, you learned who they were fighting and you learned what they yep. were fighting for. And obviously that comes from Dragon Ball and like Goku fighting like I forget the guy's name, but who's like fighting for like water for his village. But like you do that as a master class with Yu Hakusho. Yu Hakusho isn't as good and without Dragon Ball Z because they took all of the mistakes that Dragon Ball Z had and threw them away and was like, okay, we learned from it. Now we can make it like perfect and it will end. And you're like, it's so good. It's so good. And like I think that's what you could do with with your stakes in in filmmaking. Um, actually, I was just like reiterating. I was rethinking about it. Where like. There's so much desire for people like, I want an origin movie for this character. How about just continuing from where this guy is? Like, this character is very interesting to begin with. I just want to see a story with him. And, like, how does he go about it? Because he offers a different world than this other character does. So, that's... And instead of backtracking almost is what it feels like. You're like, I just keep this going, man. I like this thing. Keep this going. Yeah, and then, like, it, it works very intertextual where... I think a lot of film now um, and TV works where it's like they have to reference something that the audience feels rewarded for watching. And so, like, I feel like Stranger Things was like the biggest uh, 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 violator of that, which, you know, it made its own empire based off of it. it's a f- cultural phenomena. But it, I think it gave people the wrong re- lessons of being like, at all costs, you must reference something. Um, and it works to get tickets and it works to sell product. And I think it connects people, but also I feel like your storytelling stops being as impactful because you're having to kind of like have this quota radio ratio where like anime was just like, you know, you know, obviously you have shonen which have like power creep stuff, but also it's like, how do you change those things? And I think again, like the newer shonens right now are really working on that where the main characters aren't these hot headed protagonists. They're, they're different kind of masculine characters. And so like they're showing that you can be sensitive and em- empathetic and films such as like uh fantastic beasts, where however you feel about them, the Eddie Redmayne character, Newt Scamander shows that the main leading dude doesn't have to be like, you know, rah, rah. And I'm, and I know who I am. He's like a chill, quiet Hufflepuff. Who's like, um, I think he's like, I think on, in, on text, he's on the spectrum. So like it shows some representation there that like, there is there's value there's representation um and um there's more to you as a person than how hard you could throw a fist so yeah there's there's complexity instead of just being like oh we know he's the main guy because 
like you were saying earlier with that whole hot-headed uh, protagonist thing, you get to see a little bit more depth, and then there's through that you actually give a shit about the guy like, yeah. instead of just being like, oh, okay, this is just the main guy, so I should just follow him for whatever reason. Yeah, and uh, I mean, with that also, like anime, if you're looking for like lore, like that, that's like I think there's there's two places you can go to school for lore. There's Lord of the Rings, and then there's anime pick your poison right and like i I think any like one piece is something that i am just like i tell my friends who don't watch anime i'm like don't start that unless you're wanting to get married um because like and i've heard it's only gotten better and i and i have fan i have fans i have friends who um who are all about one piece and i'm like yo i respect much respect i i dropped off a bleach i dropped off a shippuden um because i just i there's there's so much but then like the way they expand and live within their worlds i'm like you gotta hand it to them obviously sometimes it's a little loopy with some filler stuff but like like with bleach i was just like okay cool there are demons then there's reapers and there's ghosts and there's spirits okay cool oh okay there's a whole reaper society okay cool oh okay there's reapers and then also they have the the demon power okay cool okay so there's this hall the, the demons that had out it's like i was like oh wow so like you're constantly building and building like full metal alchemist like even that like expands into the 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 fantasy genre because it has such a a very well defined magic system where like other you know uh, adaptation or other stories of fantasy of like how magic works does it have a cost is there a limit to how much magic can a character use isn't really well defined like we don't know the extent of what gandalf's powers are we don't know the extent of what harry potter's powers are because it's kind of like based upon the need of the story where like Mm -hmm. edward elric or ang it's like well i don't know how much fire do we have in our body like how like how you could see it actually exerts uh, it takes energy away from them but ed's got to have like okay do i have like salt and 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 chlorine next to me to make an explosive i don't know and so like he has to use the elements around him um but like and so those kind of things like i i have during this time you know because 2020 with everything being shut down like I've, I've taken a lot of time to write and to outline and um i've now have like maybe a handful i'll say maybe five like full-fledged outlines of like stories and some of them are like dramas of like here's like the imagine the movie chef with warrior but then like there's one that's like a fantasy that's like it takes place on another planet and like how do i expand it and also like is there magic and like okay and so like anime has been kind of like this fun adventure masterclass of like okay this is what works this is what doesn't work this is what people like this is how you expand your universe is what makes it feel like the stakes are involved but what are the characters fighting for are there going to be fights and what will those fights say about the characters? Cause you know, you can have, and I think that was a like fun thing with Shonen anime where it was like, uh, I think we're both team he on Yu Hakusho. Yes, sir. And so how cool is a short King like myself. Yeah. And so like how Kuwabara fights a guy versus how he fights a guy is tells you how the character works. And so there's a lot about it where he is kind of like, you know, he's a little Vegeta, a little Sasuke. Maybe he's the one that informed both of them. And it's like, I'm not going to take my time with you. I'm going to end it quick. And then when you realize it, you'll be dead. And then Kuobar is like, Oh no, he's a joy wheeler. I don't know if I'm going to win, but then somehow he, <laughs> he takes a W out of his butt. And he's like, okay, cool. I done. So yeah. Is Blake Griffin looking ass? <laughs> yeah. 
But it's, Dude, the first time someone showed me that, that killed me. That he looks like Blake Griffin. I was like, wow, I, that's I, the live action, live action casting right there. I die every time I remember that it's Chris Abbott, and I'm like, well, that's Vegeta, that's Piccolo, that's all my. I was like, my goodness. <laughs> right. I was right. like, wow. Oh man. Um, I usually don't. So I get a little cringe whenever I talk about. Cause sometimes I end up talking about things as like. Instead of a conversation, it's content. Mm-hmm. So I do, I try, I I have like a back and forth with it, but. Just with the word, um, right? Yeah. Yeah, no, I'm the same way. Like I, I was thinking about it a lot and like a lot of quote unquote content creators are like buying these quote unquote content creator kits and it's like, look at my new content, look at my new, all this stuff. And I, it kind of like became this weird place where it's like, yeah, everything's a content creation. You got to monetize your life. You got to right. somehow record everything. And I think someone who it was, was uh, David F. Sandberg who directed uh, lights out recently Shazam. And he has a YouTube channel. He breaks down filmmaking at a really lovely level. So if anyone that's like interested into it, he does a lot of indie hacks and shows you how to do stuff. And he even talks about stuff on his Hollywood films, but he, he made a big tweet about it. He was like, I hate the word content because it stops making anything special. Like if you make a podcast, you make a podcast. If you make music, you make music. If you make a film, you make a film, like stop calling it content because people are just going to start getting bored of content because content's just being thrown at them. So tell them you're working on a piece of art, telling them, tell them you have a wonderful conversation with somebody and that they should listen in, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, he has a really cool approach, too, and, like, it does make it feel like churn, you know, almost as like, like you're just checking a box instead of just creating something that you're proud of. But he's really cool because he did, like, a thing. I think I saw it on Vimeo or something. Um, uh, I think our DP sent it to me, but he was talking about continuity in Shazam, and it was something as small as, like, the the kids having jackets on before they got out of a scene or something, and I was like that's not even shit that I considered. Like the, the elements, the small, the elements that are so small that they're even like a people putting together a story or thinking about stuff that small and like the, that the world that these people are living in makes sense. And the things that happen in this plot and this timeline and the story makes sense. I'm like, wow, so much goes into it. Yeah. And I mean, uh, uh, the video I think you're talking about is, uh, called, um, problem solving with filmmaking. And yeah. he was talking about like a bunch of things where it's like, okay, you think making someone fly is really hard. So we have Shazam flying. All you have to do is put him on a little blue tuning fork and then turn him around. And then you, you know, uh, mask out the people who are pushing him. But you also forgot why, cause you're working on this giant stunt. Cause you're in the middle of a mall. You have location. You have to worry about how long you're going to be there. You have to worry about like paparazzi taking pictures that you forgot that crew members are in the back with like their equipment on. So now you have to CGI them where like having shopping bags with them and, and not paying attention. And then I think the thing you're talking about with the, with the jacket thing was like one actor, the youngest girl couldn't be on set until a certain time because she's at a certain age. So you could only require them to be there for four hours. So why would the kids not go outside or why would they go outside wear their jackets? Because then later on after that, we're never back in the house. So why would they ever get their jackets? So it's going to be night. Exactly. Yeah. It's that kind of stuff where, you write it on paper and it feels good and goes and it flows and you just you don't you kind of think about the wardrobe and you're like yeah they would just always be in their jackets why wouldn't they always be in their jackets and then you realize people in jackets in a house looks a little weird people don't that's not how yeah like that's so such a 
uh, an understated thing that people often don't consider, and that's just like, man, just do it how humans are. Like, act, have humans act like humans. Like, people wouldn't do that. And that's just like a small detail. And like, even just like in my, you know, in my day to day, um, we're in pre production right now for a, a spot that we're shooting. And the guy, our DP is like, I'm kind of working with him in tandem, just trying to set up and plan ahead for shots that are literally going to go into this ad. And we're going to take this little snippet. This is going to be its own thing. And I'm like, man, like this really kind of the first time that I'm working hand in hand with like, you know, on the production side of it and thinking like, man, like I've not considered how much lead time we'd need to kind of cut these things out and segment out things that I know I'm going to need ahead of time have that set up so that on the actual day of the shoot, like I know I'm, that I'm getting that stuff. Like there's so much going on in the back end, you know, and when you, when you start seeing the, how the sausage is made, you're like, dang, like I had no idea this much went into it. Yeah. Um, I've worked when I first moved down to LA, I worked in production for like four years and, um, you know, I was just a PA. And so I would like run and go get coffee or okay, cool. Open the, set up the tables or give out the walkies and make sure everyone gets their start paperwork done and they make sure they got paid. Um, you know, send it over to the producers. And I, one of the quickest lessons I learned was that the most important thing about filmmaking is making sure everyone's happy. And like one thing that I learned real quick was that the moment you get there, the first thing you start worrying about is lunch and making sure that food is available because if people don't have access to food, water and good nutrients, then they start getting really pissy. It starts becoming like a reflection of the project more so than, Oh, we have Martin Scorsese here directing. And it's like, well, what's for lunch? Like, Oh, pizza. This is what kind of production you have. Like this is, tr this is trash. And like, people will like be like that on set. Um, and it's not like because they're, they're snooty and stuff like that, but it's like you work on, you work for 12 hours for, you know, maybe seven to eight weeks or maybe up to 14, 16 weeks. And if you eat pizza every day for lunch, you're going to start realizing that the thing you're working on has no money. And also how are you going to get paid? And so it's like, if they're pinching budget on like that stuff, then it's like, okay, maybe there's something wrong. So it's, it's crazy when like, I, I see video essayists or like critics who are just like, Oh, what they should have done. Oh, what they should have done. And it's like, no, no, you, what, what happened was this. And you could say like, I don't like this. And I think that's the most that we're really afforded to say. And of course, like people are like, well, I should be allowed to cr criticize where it's like, maybe you should, but also you should be intending that like, it's kind of a miracle that films get made to begin with. Um, and you know, with the example of Shazam, like it's not a Spider-Man and it's not a wonder woman. It's not a, uh, Iron Man movie. Cause it was not made for $200 million. It was made for, I think like 75 million. So it's like a really low budget comparatively. And so like everyone's like, you know, people might think like, Oh, that's still a lot of money. And it's like, yeah, but for what they're having to attempt and what they're doing, like most of that's going to go to CGI and not for, towards the actors or towards the director or anything like that. It's just like what's necessary to sell the the idea. And so like sometimes you have to just work within like, you know, scheduling and it gets it gets really tough. And I think that's becomes more of the art form is like how well do you deal with problems and problems will happen like, OK, cool. It's raining. How are we going to deal with this? So. You know. Oh my god! I know. <laughs> I I'm so glad that our shoot this that we have coming up that I'm talking to you about is inside because I'm like, dude, we can figure out a way to fake some light if we need to, but I'm so glad we're not going to be out in the elements in case something happens. Like, thank God. 
so you start you start thinking about things like that. Like I've not thought about it in a granular level like that before because I've never actually been a part of the production that much. Um, and so it's just cool that I'm getting to do this now. Like previously, I'd gotten to do some concepting type stuff and kind of uh, scripting a little bit. Um, just to get the idea on paper, like proof of concept type stuff to get to the client and kind of gauge where they are with like a project. Um, but yeah, this this one that we're going into is like going to be a really cool thing to kind of dip my toe into like, okay, how does this actually come together and how do I fit into this and like helping, how, how can I help make sure that, you know, we get all the shots we need, um, that everything, you know, gets executed that needed to happen on my part, like. So I'm pretty stoked on that, and it's just, like, such a small thing, but I'm, like, excited about it. Oh, yeah, and um, at the time of this recording, I'm going to be doing, like, a 48-hour film fest. and Oh, nice. And, like, the number one thing that I always worry about is, like, how is it going to sound? Um, you know, like, because, video, you know, people will forgive bad quality. They will watch a 480 video. They will watch a 720 video, but they will not listen to audio that sounds like you recorded it in your toilet. Um, right. and like, that's a big thing thing that I think a lot of people miss with visuals. Like, um, you have to make sure that it's coherent, but like, it's funny. Um, one of my co-hosts, Corey and I, we, uh, have a YouTube channel called uh, storyboard. And with there, we created a um, web series called PAs. And, um, we've also done other short films and, and skits. And every single time that like later on the, later in the, our career, whenever we were like, we would pass the director hat around because I felt like. You know, people, I think a lot of people want to direct, but no one wants to produce. And so I've always had to produce everything. And so everything I've produced, but like some few things I, I didn't direct, but the things I would direct will all be at night. And I'd be like, oh my, I have to like think about the lights. I have to think about where the camera moves because right. every time the camera moves, I have to change the lighting. And so like, I have to make sure the match of the lighting and make sure that the luminance is like there. And so there's like so many things that can always go wrong. And like, when you find out that like independent filmmaking, like, three people do like 200 people's jobs you're like yeah maybe we should pay them like a bajillion dollars a person <laughs> but uh yeah it, i mean but that's also like the love for it right like you can't get into storytelling exactly. without you know the love of the game so like you know it's it, it, I, I think a lot of people who who always ask me like oh what if you don't make it then i'm like yo that's a poison that i sleep with every night and and it's what keeps me up and that's why i'm always high strung because i'm like I gotta make it. <laughs> I gotta make it. Man, for real, yeah. That was like one of the last one of the last things we worked on. I was like basically the being doing the PA work on that, and we, um, man, like it was outside shot. We're going for that golden hour, trying Ooh. to get sunset in the shot, and I'm like, okay, like we there's not missing this. Like we if we miss it, then that's we're done. Like we missed it. Oh yeah. So it was just like, and I know our DP was just like, I'm sure he worried an ulcer into his stomach, like just making, trying to make sure that we got the shot, but we ended up getting it. It was great. And I was just like, man, like, I am so glad that that worked out, but definitely like the things that go into it are so interesting to me. And I think about, um, you know, just a couple episodes now, um, at the time of this coming out, I, uh, was on, I, I recorded with uh, another podcast with a buddy of mine, two dudes in a movie. Mm-hmm. And uh, they do uh, movie reviews. Uh, they have, like, a scoring system that they go off of real specifics on uh, different elements that go into each film. And uh, we did, like, a – it's kind of real fun. I made, like, a bracket. I saw. 
of uh of movies. Yeah, I didn't know if you'd seen it yet. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you commented on it. That's right. All killer, no filler. Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah, that's right. Uh, I need to send you that too. I need to uh send you like the rationale for why each of the uh, films were uh, matched up against each other. Anyway, um, we had uh, several Christopher Nolan films in that, and I just think about how he structures a story, and it's just like. I, I'm thinking about how I'm on like this commercial production for a client and like how my stress level is and I'm like I can't even imagine what goes on in his brain when he puts together something like Tenet or the practical effects that they're shooting when they do Inception when they're rotating the room and I'm like holy shit like I'm just like so I don't know I'm like such a fanboy when it comes to people like that because I'm like that's just their brain's just incredible to me. No, yeah, I'm I'm a big Nolanite. Um, you know, I won't say all of his films are absolute masterpiece, but the thing I really enjoy about him is that, like, yeah, he's being bold, and uh, I really, you know, there's a quote that um, Zack Snyder quotes him a lot is that Hollywood makes two types of movies. One is by the filmmaker, and the other one is by a committee. And the second one sucks, and I don't want to deal anything with that. But the other films that you should be interested in is the one where you can tell the filmmaker is there um, because sometimes they get very homogenous and you just be like, okay, well this is just the product that I'm buying in. And I think, you know, Nolan definitely bought himself like the, the a la carte carte blanche um, treatment after Batman begins because it made Batman, you know, a risk at first. It was like, we don't know. Cause last time we did a Batman movie, it was, you know, terribly received the box office and critically panned. And then you made it like one of the greatest films. And it's a film that like, I think a lot of people still steal from it nowadays, which is great. Um, and then dark Knight, Right. And it was just this unprecedented level of like, Oh, we've changed the kind of game of like what filmmaking, storytelling, superhero genre, all this stuff was. And so like after that inception, then interstellar and all that stuff. And most of the stuff he tries to do is just purely, you know, practical and not with CGI where, some people are like, we'll do three years of previs with a with a, a CGI team to plan out every single shot that they do in their movie. And he was he, you know, doesn't use storyboards and he doesn't watch the monitors. He just like is there next to the camera and watching. And, you know, he self taught himself. So I think like there's a lot of good practicality that you learn you know, you, you learn from just being on set. And I think a lot that's where a lot of people like I think the Russo brothers kind of come from where they're like our our film school was being on set and was making our films and that's where you learn the lessons and it's like yeah i I could see that you know you you learn by doing and you fail you fail more times than you succeed and then you really just aggregate to like being really good storytelling but yeah nolan uh he uh he sees the world in a very different way i think yeah i just remember seeing like a like a short snippet of like about how he puts together a story and I'm just like I can't even fucking follow this like and so it's just like I love it I love it I love that kind of stuff though yeah there's um there's a channel called uh, Storybinder which kind of breaks down what they took away from the Dark Knight and it breaks it down to like this is you know the the status quo this is like the midpoint this is the darkest before the night whatever you know like it's literally what it's called uh, or it's called the darkest night and all these different things and it's like the premise of the promise of play all these things um but there's one podcast that i've listened to which is called script notes and craig mazin who uh show ran chernobyl who's doing the last of us show um he he does a he does a pretty good episode of like 
stop looking at things from the outside and start looking at things from the inside. Um, start l- thinking of, you know, how do you tell a story or how do you start telling if a story is good as a creator and not as a critic. And it's something that I've held with me and people can look it up on YouTube. And I think it's like phenomenal. It's, and he breaks down like why finding Nemo is like one of the greatest stories just like structurally told um, because it does so much when the first act and, you know, obviously like it, the Pixar way is like, Oh, make you cry, but not really make you cry, but more like give you a reason why the character must undergo this journey. And then you realize how like the, the story plays and like how the, the story tests the characters. And then like the character is like the embodiment of this antithesis and the overall story is the thesis of the creator. And so you want the, the, the main character to embody the thesis so they'll have to l- learn how to like fight that and of course it's not going to be easy so it's 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 absolutely wonderful i'm like wow it really then that ever since then i started really critiquing like what animated things t- how, how they tell stories yeah that is like such an interesting thing when like you're put on to something or someone phrases something in such a way where something finally clicks for you and you're like oh and then you can't help but see that thing in everything that you watch after that. Like, I love that kind of stuff. It, it kind of ruins more stuff for me than it actually helps me. Because <laughs> <laughs> then I start asking, and, and this is like my quote-unquote most pretentious thing that I do about um, when people say like, oh, this is the best thing ever. And if it's something that I don't agree with, I don't say like, no, you're dumb. I don't say any of that stuff. I, say, I ask, well, what is it about? And I typically say, like, if you're if the story you're watching is nothing more than like good guys win and bad guys lose or love always wins, then that's stuff you learned as a child. But if it's something that says more about like truth is uh, a fickle thing and it can cost billions of lives and it's like this is how a political structure um, defends itself before defending its people, that is pretty important. And it's all under the guise of like, well, this is the event that happened in Chernobyl. And you're like, oh my goodness. <laughs> so that man, that show, that series, it's funny whenever you have a show like that where you like, you know what happens. I mean, it's history. Yeah. I, but the entire time it's like your ass is puckered <laughs> tighter than a drum where you're like, Ugh, like when they're uh, getting the, the, the dosometer and stuff. Oh, yeah. Like, I'm like, when I, I stood up and the God, ch- I don't even know what this is going to be. <laughs> I stood up and the chair came up with me and uh, it was just, <laughs> um, dude, for real. And, uh, you know, yeah. And, uh, it, I, I watched that at the beginning of 2020. So that was not good for me because of how everything <laughs> happened. I was like, Oh no, no. <laughs> so it was, it was rough, but no. Yeah. I mean, and so I, I really appreciate, like, I think when we talked about it with Wolfwalkers, where um, things geared towards children aren't shying away from, like, racism or religious, like, uh, prejudice, uh, prejudice and, and, yeah. and intolerance. Yeah, intolerance and, 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 and shows a bit of history. And then um, sometimes, like, the overall message is simple, but, like, it, 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 it hits on other other fronts so i'm like what is it about and so it's like well i mentioned these things so the overall consensus isn't about that but at least it had the 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 courage to bring that up because i think a lot of people shy away from that because they don't want to be labeled as you know too woke or whatever and it's like just tell your story right. just tell your story if your if your story is that and you're trying to tell it from you don't don't try to pander to everybody but just try to tell the story that matters to you and then 
I think it'll be very true and honest. True. Yeah, that's definitely a fine line, too, because, like, you know, we, we've seen examples of, like, both sides, I think, whenever something... Um, I think you could feel when something is, like, genuine, though. Like, whenever you can you can tell that something is trying to pander or you can tell, like, okay, what's the deeper story here? It's actually trying to cut to the heart of this thing instead of just being like, isn't this something you can relate to? Like, it, there's actual substance there. Like, I love that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, like uh, Avatar The Last Airbender is, like, it's so weird how it teaches children without being, like, holding a classroom of, like, how, um, like propaganda works and then how people just divide because of weird traditional values and it's all upon the premise that Aang has to unite the world and that's his burden so of course we have to see those things happen we have to see him learn and fail and then succeed how to bring people together and then how to combat ideologies that are different than his and it's really easy because his ideology is like let's all just be peaceful and let's all just live and harmonize together. Or like one thing that I, I always go back to is um, Kiki's Delivery Service. I, I don't know if you've watched that. Um, Not recently, but I've seen it before. Rewatch it now as an adult and as someone who is in the creative field. Um, when you rewatch it, and I, I don't want to be a big spoiler, it's very much about like um, the people in our generation who move to a new place or go out of their comfort zones to try something that has always been something fundamental to them. For me, it's always been filmmaking and then try to survive in a unfamiliar place. And then you burn out, you lose your magic and then everything becomes foreign to you. And then you just have to kind of recover and stay away from the things that were adding those stress. And that's why she has this moment where she just goes to the forest and then has to reconnect with who she is and what she wants in the world. And at the very end, it kind of reignites that like you kind of get your magic back by finding the thing that like is willing to like bring you forward towards that thing. And sometimes you don't. And like, there's that peer pressure. Cause at first she meets like another witch that like completely is like all self-made and all that. So like, Oh, it's such, it's my absolute favorite Miyazaki film. So. Yeah, man, I need to rewatch that. I think they put them all on HBO. They have. And and that's the one thing I really enjoy with the Miyazaki films. It's like, it's, you know, again, not a dig on Disney, but like not everyone's a princess. Like maybe there are one or two princesses, but like they're just normal people. And they all go through like really important things where like, you know, Totoro's all about, you know, um, these two kids who are trying to cope with their mom being sick and like moving to like the 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 country out of the city spirit away is kind of like about growing up and respecting you know there obviously there's that those shintoisms in there but like conservationism and and understanding that you know nature and harmony is important and so it's like wow this this is this is way better than one day a a prince will find me and kiss me you know (laughs) yeah that's true there's more value there it's like more you know, it's more of like a lived human experience. Like we, uh, we were able to show um, a couple years ago. You know, we we try to do programming up here at Tower. We haven't done it in a while, but uh, Tower Theater is a, a theater here in Oklahoma City. There's concerts and there's like a big movie screen. And um, I had the opportunity to do some programming, and you know, it just kind of worked out that um, it was one year in April. We did show we showed um, Princess Mononoke. And um, that was such a good one to tie in, especially because we did like a whole Earth Day um, kind of vibe for 
for uh, that month. But it's always been, you know, I always love when it's like a an unexpected uh, lesson learned that's not trying to beat you over the head because, you know, like you were saying with the other films, there's, there's just something to be gleaned from it. And, you know, we have that, that element of like, uh, you know, man versus self, man versus machine. You know, there's kind of like these these different struggles within that same story structure and you're not necessarily getting beat over the head with it, but by the end you've learned something whether or not you knew it. And it's just like, man, this is such great storytelling. And I love when, you know, that, that to me that I show people things like that when people say that cartoons are for kids and I'm like, well, you're not wrong, but check this stuff out too. Like there's something to be learned here as an adult to be appreciated as an adult. Yeah. And I think, I mean, there is that level of like, is it family friendly? Right. And I think with anime has definitely found like a really good balance of like there, I don't know. It's tough because I think there's always that weird, like balance that needs to happen where, you know, like I remember, of course there's like plenty of Simpsons and maybe even like old Spielberg stuff. That's like, well, this movie's for kids, but here's enough of the jokes for the adults to get. Um, and the kids are like, what? Right. What is that? But then there's just something that's just like fundamentally so good that whether you're an adult or whether you're a child, you understand its power. Um, and I think anime at a certain point, and that's why I think like, like again, if I can watch it as a kid and I watch like some really dark stuff, like Serial Experiments Lane, like there's like... There, th- it talks about like God and it talks about like doing self harm and like the, this, the, the terrors of like the pre internet times. And, um, and uh, like it's about youths at risk at the same time, but also like there's things like paranoia agent that was like really disturbing as a kid. And like obviously Satoshi Kone. And so like I've watched <laughs> anything, yeah, Satoshi Kone, I yeah. watched uh, Perfect Blue at a really young age. Um, bro, that it, it's still still themes that are so relevant in that it was like it's like they knew social media was gonna happen yeah in that movie and and like it was crazy and you know you can't look at that film and then all of a sudden look at black swan be like no there's no way that got influenced or not and um dude yeah and and for sure and like i watched it as a kid and obviously there's nudity and maybe if someone wanted to psychoanalyze me and they would say like yeah tom's pretty messed up in the inside i'm like i probably am um but like I, as a kid, I took it off of like, this is a psychological horror and there's a lot of creepy, scary stuff that happens. And I understood like the plot, but as an adult, now I understand the story. And I think there is something there. There is that weird middle like that where um, I think American cinema hasn't really touched on where it's like it has to be family friendly where like it only is going to go about a little bit below. And I think things like bug's life almost got there where i was like oh this is about slavery with seven samurai and bugs you know like oh okay um we can talk about that then um but it still has and i think there's almost that level of like okay cool we can be violent and then not be afraid that a kids are are, are gonna freak out or parents are not gonna like try to cancel it or something like that right for sure man well it's crazy, man. Like, I just love talking about the, you know, the deeper themes and the things that, you know, have had such an impact with, on us, whether we knew it or not. Um, Tom, I re- appreciate you taking the time, man. Um, 
Can you tell people where they can follow your projects, follow Nerd on, keep up with everything you're working oh, on? Of course. Thank you again for bringing me on. I I, I love. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, and I gotta I gotta bring you on to Nerd on, and we'll we'll talk about. We'll find we'll find something that you don't get to talk about on the show. But I feel like you get to talk about okay. everything. <laughs> um, <laughs> We're all over the place. No, man. I mean it's lo- I love it. I think all your audience uh, members absolutely love it too because. Yeah, it's it's a real person, you know. Uh, you talk about all the things you can, um, but they can follow me personally uh, at Tall Dark Not Ugly on everything. Yes, that's Tall Dark Not Ugly, not Tall Dark and Ugly. <laughs> but uh, uh, I made it when I was in high school or in college, so yeah. And I'm sticking with it. I think it's funny. Um, but you could follow uh, Nerd On at Nerd On TV. Um, that's on every social media. Um, if you can't find it there, that's because we're not there. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we, we do Twitch, we have YouTube, we do a podcast, um, check it out. We have a free discord, um, community so people can talk about all the things that they get their nerd on about, um, that they want to celebrate. And then also if you want to check out like future projects that I'm working on, like in the film world, check out, um, storyboard, we are storyboard.com. Um, and that has I'll, you'll never see my face because I'm always behind the camera. Um, but those are some of the fun things I've done in L.A. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I think you'll probably put it in the show notes. But uh, you could probably Google uh, my first and last name and uh, find me on IMDb and see some of the stuff I've worked on. So, Cool. Yeah, right on. Thank you again, man. Um, yeah, dude, for sure. Um, well, as always, guys, you can follow us on social media. It's Tune Soon's podcast, T-U-N-E-S slash T-O-O-N-S. We're on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you find your podcasts. Tom, thanks again, man. I really appreciate your time. Thank you. Thank you.